Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Hello everyone, this is Grace, the community manager here at the StoryCraft Cafe, and I am so excited to announce that our cafe is now open for business. We opened on Friday and we had such a great time. Um, so many people showed up, there was great conversations happening in the community. Um, we had an amazing interview with Christopher Paolini. The recording from that is up so you can go look at it on the community. Uh, and I am just, I was just overwhelmed with the amount of support that we were shown. So if you want to be a part of this project um, and come hang out with us, you can find us at the Storycraft Cafe. That's storycraft.cafe. We would love to see you and I hope to see you there soon. On today's episode of the Storycraft Cafe, I'm honored to be joined by Beverly Jenkins, a multi-award winning author who writes romance in several different subgenres. We have a fascinating conversation about the writing life, about her long and storied career, about how more people need to read romance. You'll see what we're talking about in today's episode. Before we get into that, let's hear from Brad Thor about some of the challenges and some of the ways that you can breathe excitement into a long-running series character. Well, you know, that is the that is the challenge when you write a series character is revealing a little bit more about the character every time and then also sending that character on adventures. Because uh, what I sell is entertainment. I sell escape. So I, I want to give you a great white knuckle thrill ride, hopefully like no one has ever given you before, uh, show you some plots and plot twists that nobody else has done before. And that is, that's what keeps my job challenging. And if it wasn't challenging, I'd get bored pretty fast. So it's hard and each book gets harder. You would think having written 20 novels, it would get easier, but it doesn't. That's part of the product of me being the son of a Marine and growing up in the Midwest, we were taught never rest on your laurels. You're lucky to have customers that are loyal to you. So what you need to do is exceed their expectations every single time. Be the one guy that your customers, basically my bosses, I don't work for Simon & Schuster, I work for you, Hank, I work for the readers. So I want, when when you all go and leave X amount of stars at Amazon or Goodreads or Barnes & Noble, uh, that's my annual performance review. And I want a five-star performance <laughs> review. So I spend the entire year working to make you happy. And welcome everyone to the StoryCraft Cafe. I'm your host, Hank Garner, and today I am super excited to have one of my favorite people on earth, Miss Beverly Jenkins, here uh, to join me. Beverly Jenkins is the recipient of the 2017 Romance Writers of America Nora Roberts Lifetime Achievement Award. That's a mouthful, Miss Beverly. Yeah, uh, as well <laughs> as the 2016 Romantic Times Reviewer's <clears throat> Choice Award for Historical Romance. She's been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in Literature, was featured both in the documentary Love Between the Covers and on CBS Sunday Morning. Since the publication of Night Song in 1994, she has been leading the charge for multicultural romance and has been a constant darling of reviewers, fans, and her peers alike, garnering accolades for her work from the likes of the Wall Street Journal, People Magazine, and NPR. And Miss Beverly is the person that taught me what the term cinnamon roll meant. <laughs> <laughs> That was a new one for me, Miss Beverly. Yeah, I and, understand. Uh, <laughs> how are you? I am doing well. It Good. is raining, raining, raining. Um, the old car guys used to say it's raining Cadillacs and Buicks, and that is what it is doing outside right now. <laughs> well, speaking of that, you are uh, – you you come from kind of the car capital of the U.S., don't you? Yeah, I'm from Detroit, and I'm a little bit outside of the city right now. But uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it is. 
we may need to, you know, get the ark out before <laughs> the end of the day. <clears throat> Thank God for sump pumps, you know. So, right, yeah. right, right. Well, uh, I'm so excited that you um, that you joined us today, Miss Beverly. Um, we we got the chance to hang out about a year ago and just had such a fantastic time. We really um, did. You are, you know, at this point in your career, you're like 40 something books uh, deep yeah, into I, your career. Is that right? I, I think it's 50 something. Oh, you know, I, I, I know. But, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a slacker compared to to like Nora and, and my good friend Brenda Jackson. You know, it's like just being around them makes me tired. Yeah. So but I think it's 50 something. The readers. They know the answers to those kinds of questions. So, right, right. So I always ask them, how many books do I have? And they, you know, <laughs> then they tell me. So that's okay. <laughs> so if I remember right, uh, please correct me where I'm wrong, but uh, you originally, your your original dream was to be a librarian, was to yes. be surrounded Just, by books. Just books, 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 books were my thing. So, uh, so, so that didn't, of... that plan didn't exactly work out, but I think this is, been a pretty good plan yeah this is a this is a great plan b um <laughs> yeah i was working <clears throat> i've worked in uh university libraries i've worked in corporate libraries and um was content you know it was my dream job and so i think when i you know like most writers when you get all those um rejection letters yeah because like i said i got enough to do my house and yours um, it didn't bother me. You know, I didn't care about the rejection letters because I was getting up every morning going to a library. So it didn't right. matter to me. But this is not bad for plan B. I, I have to agree with you. I think it's, <laughs> it's a pretty good plan B. Yeah. Um, you know, for um, when you talk about those rejection letters, be, because you you were kind of living your your dream. Uh, you know, working in the library and, and getting to do that. Did, did writing feel like it was, um, did it ever feel like an unattainable dream or did you, did you just not put that pressure on yourself? Like you know, I some was people just, would just get discouraged after a while, yeah. but that didn't seem to play. Yeah, it, didn't, it didn't, it didn't matter to me. Cause like I said, I had my dream job and that's really all I wanted out of life. Um, because I never wanted to be a writer. You know, this is one of those things that I just sort of stumbled into. I had been writing on and off just for me. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about me being the, the editor of my school newspaper in the fourth grade. Fourth grade, right? Yeah. And um, finding a bit of success in creative creative writing classes in high school. But, you know, the idea of being a writer uh, never occurred to me. I just... I just wanted to be around books. I didn't know want to be around books that I had written, but um, so here I am, what twenty eight years later, talking to you. <laughs> um, you have carved out your place in the romance genre, um, and your over the course of your career, your romance books like they've always been anchored in romance, but. The genre had you've kind of reached out this way and you've kind of reached out that way, but the the anchor that always holds is is romance. Right. Um, what is it about romance as, as a genre that uh, that you love so dearly? Because you can do anything with it. You can do fantasy. You can do mysteries. You can do paranormal. You can do found families. You can do. Um, you know, whatever uh, genre or idea or like that you have in reading, we have that for you. And plus, you get to you get to explore people's emotions and uh, how people connect, which I think is a, a, a skill. You have all these people who say, "Well, romance is easy to write." Yeah, right. Okay, try it. Right. Um, try it on you know four hundred pages and. And then sell it. Um, I think it's probably one of the, if not the hardest genre to write because you're dealing with emotions. Right. Um, and that that interaction between two people and 
and then you know the tropes that we have we, we you know we love the tropes and, and and being able to spin those yeah you're going to get the happy ending <clears throat> and i think that is what draws our readers but the the hard part is how to spin that trope in a way that only you can spin it and that makes your book unique and loved so it's pretty hard to do speaking of tropes uh how constrained do you feel by the tropes or uh you, you know there, there are certain things that we come to expect in, yeah. in certain genres but are those things that you think about at all or you know after 50 something books is it just ingrained in the way you tell stories well, how do you feel about those well you can you can say okay today i'm gonna write an enemies to lover Mm -hmm. Or, you know, maybe you want to do uh, found families or maybe you want to do fake marriage or maybe you want to do a fake dating. I mean, we got so many things on the menu that you can right. do. And then the, the the joy of putting more than one trope together, you know, so you could have I've got a enemies to lovers. I've got a fake marriage. I've got, we got one bed, which is also a trope. Um, <laughs> you know, you put all those together in a pot and you're making gumbo on the page. Right. You know, so, right. Um, but the, 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 the readers are intrigued by how are these two people who cannot stand the sight of each other going to work it out so that they get that H-E-A, the happily ever after, or the H-F-N, which is happily for now, uh, at the end. And that's the, the joy in it and the work in it. Right. Well, speaking of the happily ever after versus the happily for now, mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think that's how you worded it. For, right, yeah. Uh, um, do, and this this was a, a question that I wanted to ask you, and that I think that's a perfect place to ask this, is that... Um, You've written some standalones, and you've also yeah. written series. Right. Um, do do the do the type whether a story is a standalone or a series? Does that dictate whether it's a happily ever after or a happily for now? Or am I thinking about that all wrong? <laughs> yeah, it depends on the author. Okay. Um, depends on what he or she is writing, or they are writing, because we have all identities writing romance now. Um. When I first started, everything was standalone. We weren't, didn't get into series until really into, you know, the 21st century. Everybody wants series. Right. I'm not a good big fan of series, series still, <laughs> but, um, you know, but I do what they tell me. Um, <laughs> everything was standalone. Yeah. And everything was HEA. You know, only recently, and by recently, I mean the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Have we had the HFN where they're together, mm -hmm. but you're not really sure whether they're going to be still together in, in, in five years or 10 years. My last historical um, Wild Rain sort of ended on a HFN kind right. of a note um, because she was not having kids. She's not, mm, nope, not doing it um, and didn't want to get married. You know, which really um, threw a few people, you know, a curve. They were like, what? That um, kind of messes up the, the <laughs> genre trope sometimes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but, you know, you want to keep the writers on, you know, keep the, the readers on their toes. Yeah. You don't want to write the same book all the time, uh, which is something we try not to do. So it's it's good to be able to play with, with that. But so with this next book, you know, there's going to be lots of babies and, you know, for, yeah. for the traditionalists out there yeah speaking of those endings um sometimes when you read a book you really want to to have some finality you want to know how mm -hmm. these characters end up you you want to know that they're okay yeah. um, and sometimes um i love a story that that kind of leaves me wondering about yeah. them not you know not a cliffhanger per se right yeah but yeah. there's 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 something to a little bit of unfinished business yeah, um, yeah, that just allows you to, to walk around for a while with this character still in your head. You know, mm -hmm. what, what are they doing? Did, did it happen this way? Did it happen yeah. that way? Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the way that you stick a landing 
in a book. Uh, you know, the, yeah, each the book is different, but I think I gave my readers that feeling with Wild Rain. Um, they weren't real sure. Um, I was, you know, I was okay with it. Yeah. Um, I had never written a story quite like that before with, a, you know, I've always had strong women. Right. But um, not anybody who fit um, Spring's life and her goals and, and, and her past. So, um, yeah, it, it's good to, to stretch your wings a little bit and give readers a, a different feel. So you try and give them a, I try and give them a different flavor with each story. Right. So, um, but you know, even when you get the standard uh, HEA ending, I go on tour and people say, "Well, did they have babies? You know, <laughs> what were the babies like?" I'm like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! <laughs> you know, can can we have another book with them?" And I'm like, "Oh God." Um, but I always tell them if, if I'm doing a, I rarely, I don't think I ever revisit my characters in a full story. They may make a cameo in something, you know, in a different book or stuff, but I'd have to break them up in yeah. order to do a, you know, and their lives are fine. They don't need me coming in and, you know, <laughs> messing things up. So, right. You know, move to the next story. I was, uh, I was interviewing uh, Linwood Barclay this morning, and mm -hmm. he's a, a, a psychological suspense bordering on horror um, author, and, and he writes a lot of standalones now. And uh, I asked him if, you know, when you finish a story, sometimes those characters stay with you. They kind of linger in your head, you know, as kind of friends that you've made. Yeah. And, and he said no. And he said that never. I am I'm done with those people. You know, I made them up. They're just make believe. And I, oh. you know, go on. And then other people, you know, are, are like, you know, they're these magic friends that just, yeah. you know, exist with you. Do I, how do you feel about the characters that you create? They they stay with me. They stay yeah. with me. Um I had a reader tell me one time that the people that I write about actually existed. You know, especially the historical people, right? But they live. You know, the 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 ones who still have are still with number books are in what I call my green room in my head, <laughs> and they're sitting on the couches, you know, and eating grapes and you know, smoking cigarettes, whatever, you know, waiting for their turn. So they are as alive as the people whose books have already been completed and I've, you know, sent them off into the sunset. So, right. so, you know, we're all different. We're all different writers. You know, we all, we all bring different stuff to the table, uh, which is why nobody understands writers, but other writers, <laughs> like what is wrong with y'all? You know, so. <laughs> I, I say all the time that we're the only people that can talk about the people that live in our head and, and no one wants to put a straitjacket on us. Yeah, I know no, that, you know, we're, we're coming to take you away. Oh my, you know. <laughs> Miss Beverly, let's go back to, uh, to the library for just a minute because okay. you, you were happily content there. Like you said, you were writing for you, uh, mm -hmm. yet you were still sending out submissions. So, well, not, not, well, not really. I mean, okay. I, I didn't start sending out submissions until, well, I did. I sent out one submission before uh, I got my agent. Okay. And I was working in the library. But that manuscript was so totally awful that I tell aspiring writers that when I put that book in the mail the rejection letter almost beat me home from the post office <laughs> that's how bad that thing was so and 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 ironically or not it was with Avon who eventually picked me up I had to be I don't know seven or eight years before night song but I didn't submit anything else at all um night song was something that I was writing just for me which is night song was my first published um work Something I was just writing for me because the market was basically closed, especially for historicals. 
So I didn't, those were the only two things that I ever submitted um, before June 3rd, 1993, when I got the call that uh, Avon wanted to buy the books. So now I wasn't sending out, you know, just that awful book that all, that turned into my first romantic suspense. You know, because I didn't know, what, you don't know what you're doing when you're writing that first book. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? Um, luckily, uh, I grew up in publishing at a time when editors had the time to take you by the right. hand and show you how to write commercial fiction. Because um, there is an art to that. Um, now, editors don't have time for that. You know, they're so overworked and they're wearing so many hats and you know, it's just, I, I feel real, you know, bad and concerned for new writers coming up because <clears throat> they don't get that TLC that right. we may have gotten, you know, 30 years ago. So, yeah. Speaking of which, um, how do you, how do, how has publishing changed? Um, you know, you talked about the, um, how editors had time and, mm -hmm. you know, has the, has some of that been Due to um, this point in time, about, about 10 years ago, uh, we talk about the Kindle revolution and um, how ebooks um, yeah. you know, started flooding the market and then which then opened the doors for other authors to come in and, mm -hmm. you know, some of the gatekeepers changing and, yeah. you know, the, the accessibility, not only of books to readers, but of publishing to authors. Um, yeah. you know, a, a lot of things changed. Um, a lot of things changed. To witness. Um, I always give thanks for the indie writers because they were, especially for romance, because as always, we were on the on the front lines. Um, because they were brave enough and strong enough and talented enough to say, "Okay, you don't want my book, fine." You know, with the with the advent of independent publishing, we'll take our ball and play over there. And they learned the formatting, and they learned how to upload, and they learned how to do the metadata, and they learned all those things, and how to put the covers together, and what makes a good blurb. And all of a sudden, they're making a whole lot of money. And publishers, publishers were like, huh, don't you want to come play in our in our playground now? And a lot of them said, no. And some of them said, yeah, but I'm still going to do self-publishing, uh, independent publishing. That changed publishing for the better. In the sense, like you said, gatekeepers. But what also changed is the, the consolidation of the publishers. Um, you lost a lot of good editors. Yeah, you lost a lot of good um, marketing and salespeople, and like I said, you know, and they did it for many, didn't replace those people. So you know, you have editors who may have had two or three authors, now have seven or eight or ten, right? And trying to, you know, give the care and, and the and the concerns to their manuscripts that they used to give. For just that small amount when they first started. Um, but the fact that in romance, it's now open to all identities has been a game changer for us. Um, the model for the, the men, we no longer have the alpha holes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying to be politically correct and not cuss on your show. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't have the alcohols. Um, the females are no longer, you know, white and blonde and blue eyed and, and a size two. Right. Um, now we have uh, women of all cultures, whether they're Muslim, whether they're Bahamian, whether they're Canadian, whether they're, you know, from South Asia. Um, and it doesn't matter who you love. You can be queer. You can be binary. You can be, you know, we got polyamorous folks writing books now. You know, it, 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 it's starting, at least for romance, it is starting to 
resemble the population. Yeah. Because love is love. And the indie writers helped usher that in. So my hat's off to them for kicking down the doors and and bringing their table with them. They didn't need a seat at the table. They just brought their own table. Right, right. And uh, do you feel like, um, how do I ask this, um, that them bringing their own table, um, do you think that part of the indie revolution was that um, these authors brought readers to the the marketplace and kind of proved, see, there is a market for this. Yeah. You just haven't been brave enough to give it a try. Right. It, is, is that kind of what happened? Yeah, yeah. And not only brave enough to try it for, you know, big publishing, but not hold their nose at it. Right. You know? Because um, for them, it's all about the bottom line. Sure. You know, and I think for romance publishing, you know, they looked at all the money that they were leaving on the table. Right. You know, it still is not as open as it can be or should be. But you have a lot more uh, people of color who are writing, you know, romance, who are also writing, you know, these young women who were these young women of color who are writing fantasy are going to put me in a poor house because... <laughs> And I tell them on Twitter all the time, y'all need to stop writing these great books. Right. You know, not really, but you know, <laughs> um, the 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 indie market has has revolutionized so much that um, most of the major genres are now no longer um, as restricted right. as they used to be. I mean, look at N.K. Jemison. And her mm -hmm. Broken Earth trilogy. Right. You know. Fantastic uh, trilogy. Right. You know, three Hugos in a row. Right. By a woman of color. Nobody's ever done that before, let alone a woman of color. Um, I love her books. Oh, my God. Because I'm a fantasy reader. So, um, yeah. So these young women about to put me in the poorhouse. But, you know, I, you want good books. You do. You do. Um I, I want to stick a pin in you just saying because you're a fantasy reader. I want to come back to that in just a minute, but I, I have to ask you this um, because I've always considered myself to be a very broad reader. Yeah. I read thrillers. I read suspense. I read a, a little bit of horror. That's mostly my friend Doug's thing, but mm -hmm. you know, I'll give him that. Um, but I, I write, read science fiction, fantasy, and kind of all over the place. And I also love to read some romance. Yeah. Um, I, I don't read all romance, but I definitely will stick my head in and see what's going on in the genre. But more than that, I like to, because I'm also a writer, I like to see what great romance authors are doing, uh, especially for interpersonal relationships. Okay. Because, you know, if I'm writing a fantasy story, I can pull the things that I learn from romance writers over there to make more believable characters with, right. with more believable relationships and that, it, you know, that we can all learn from each other. And, oh, yeah. and yeah. I always kind of thought, you know, that's the way everyone was. And I, I had someone tell me the other day, no, not everyone's not that interested in reading all over the place. You know, you're just weird. Um, you know, some <laughs> people, they, they find a, a subgenre that they love and they just kind of stick with that. Um, yeah. How do you feel about that when you hear, you, you know, because, because I know that you, you're a lover of, of this and that, and you bring a lot of those things into your writing. What do you think about when someone says, Oh, readers only read, what they read and that's all you're ever no. going to get in their hands. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. I don't believe that either. And, you know, and that was what public, and that was part of publishing's problem too. Right. And all black people only read black people. Right. No. <laughs> Which is a ridiculous assertion. Which is, yes. Yeah. Um, I'm like you. I think we can all learn from every genre. Um, a lot of times we'll see, um, sci-fi or fantasy and they'll have a romantic element in it. and it's terrible. Yeah. Like, please go read a romance book. Just <laughs> right. <for> we, <laughs> you know, we, like, it will not give you cooties. Please <laughs> read a romance so you can improve your writing. 
Improve, right. At least improve, improve your story. Yeah. And if you have a wife, please go talk to her. And yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Some of the stuff we, you know, the, <coughs> there's a, a Twitter handle of um, men who write women. And yes, hilarious. Oh, put you on the floor laughing. Mm -hmm. But, and it's not just about the sex. Right. You know, it's about the interpersonal relationship and how a couple navigates life, you know, through whether it's a fantasy, whether it's a mystery, whether, um, but I'm like you. I mean, we could all learn from each other. Sure. And those who don't want to learn wind up writing really bad books. So, <laughs> so the the pen that I said let's stick in just a minute ago. Um, you are probably mostly most wide known for your historical romances. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's probably fair to say. Yeah. Um, but you, your newest book, uh, Rare Danger, which is a novella, is uh, is set in modern times, and yeah. it has. Uh, different elements. It's it's kind of a uh, an interesting uh, departure for you. Uh, well, I have. What do we have going on in Rare Danger? Uh, Rare Danger. We have a, a, a lot. As the little kids used to say, where I was growing up, we have a librarian. <laughs> <laughs> She's a librarian, um, and she uh, curates books for people who don't have time to 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 get their own books. And we have a stolen copy of an astronomy book from, um, oh, my brain is just so dead, um, <laughs> from Molly, uh, Timbuktu, the Timbuktu, the famous Timbuktu library. And we have a, a guy who's a, a sort of special ops kind of a guy. So I got to do, you know, and I love, you know, I've, I have five other uh, contemporary suspense stories and I love doing them because I can blow stuff up. I can have car chases. I can have murders. I can have, you know, people <laughs> with guns and, you know, and just have a good time doing it. Right. So Rare Danger is um, one of those um, romantic suspense Miss Bay of Shoot 'em Ups um, in a very short form. So it's a novella that I did for um, Avon Amazon's publishing wing, Mount Lake. So, how do you, and you mentioned right before we went live that, that this was a new, uh, endeavor with, with Amazon's Mont Lake. And, and you said you, you have some, um, some opinions about how it went. And, you know, something, well. and I said, and I said, hold on to that. Let's let's talk yeah. about that live. Yeah. Um, how was that working with Amazon? Because uh, you know, they some of their publishing houses that they've spun up over the last five, six, seven, eight, well, the better part of ten years now. I'm I'm losing track. Um, they've done some really interesting thing in things in publishing because Amazon for you know whether you like it or not, it's kind of the 800 pound gorilla in, oh, yeah. uh, in, in publishing at the moment. But, mm -hmm. you know, when they decided to start their own publishing houses, they were uniquely positioned yeah. to do that. What's it been like working with them as an, from the author I mean, standpoint? I, I had a great time. Um, what really struck me was the short length of time it takes for them to go from the finished product to the stores or shelves. Right. Um, I was amazed because I think we finished it in June or July and it went live in November. The, um, which in, is, in publishing years, the publishing years are kind of like dog years. That's oh God. Yes. <laughs> yes. Takes at least eight months, at least right. eight months. So that was great. Um, and they also did their first pass pages. For those who don't know what first pass pages are, those are the pages you get and you read through and you look for um, typos and stuff out of whack and right. what you get after the copy editor gets done. Um, they used a spreadsheet, which was very, very new to me. 
Interesting. In fact, it took me a couple of days to figure out what the hell am I supposed to do with this? You know, so right. you know, I'm so used that to is. the old way of of uh, of publishing, but it was different, and it was it was okay. I mean, it was a good experience for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if if we would do it again, me and my agent, but um, it was great to see how their process works. Yeah, I wonder, and and this is just, you know, me wandering into the air. um, But you know, uh, them kind of proving that that the machine can move a little faster than we've become accustomed. I wonder if they'll have any any effect on the industry. Yeah, well, you know, with just an ebook, you don't have to worry about printers. Right. You don't have to worry about you know the paper shortage coming out of Canada. You don't have to worry about you know, shipping the books from Texas to to New York City or to Florida and all that. So they don't have all of that weighing down their model. Um, and they can do print on demand, which makes it a lot easier. Right. So um, I don't know. Um, like I say, it was a good experience for me. We'll see what happens in the future because you know amazon is changing changing stuff every day right we've got the issue now with um the ai not knowing a lot of stuff and um striking people's books off of the 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 shelves for you know silly reasons like you don't have the um rights to to these this cover yes we do you know, so they're going back and forth, you know, and you're reading this and you feel so bad for the authors. Right. Um, there's an anthology that the, some of the romance writers put together to raise money for the Ukraine. And the AI just came in and said, well, you don't, you can't do this because this, 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 and this. And they were like, yes, we can because of this, 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 and this. You know, right. you're not talking to a person, you know, and, and that makes it a lot more difficult too, so. So there are issues with dealing with them right now. Miss yeah. um, Beverly, writing uh, historical fiction is is always fascinating to me mm-hmm. because uh, where th- the difference between historical fiction and alternative history is yeah. that historical fiction is rooted in something real, something right. we can trace back or a person we can trace back or right. an historical event that we can trace back. Um, how do you go about finding um, topics that you want to write about? And then, you know, how do you go about anchoring these stories in truth and reality while allowing yourself the freedom to create and to expound on the, the things we don't know about yeah. history? Well, you know, I'm a pantser. So I may start a book and not know what I'm doing. <laughs> You know, I may have a kernel of a character, and that kernel and that character may be uh, reality based or not. Yeah. Um, I may have a kernel of a story that may be reality based or not. But I look at the timeline of where the when when the story is going to be set. None of this is known before I start. Um, I, I've often said that, you know, when I start a book, I'm sort of like Moses leading the the, the Israelites through the desert because I don't know where we're going. You know, I'm looking for the, the pillar cloud to tell me, you know, where I'm supposed to be tomorrow, you know. So, um, but once I sort of know where I'm going, I'll start researching the year. Um uh, the 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 book before the Mayflower has a great by Lerone Bennett who was real active with Jet Magazine when I was growing up has a a, a great timeline in before the Mayflower which is a history of African Americans in the United States and he has it broken down into years and so if I need you know something to spark me from like 1878 you know mm-hmm. I can go to that portion of the book and say, okay, well, this happened, that happened, that happened, that happened. And you can use that to educate and entertain, 
by maybe taking that incident or those incidents and having your character read them from a newspaper or relate them to um, travel or, um, and I like for my characters to wear the history. Right. So when I wrote Topaz back in 90, I don't know when it was, 98, I guess, um, the main guy is a deputy sheriff from Indian Territory, a deputy marshal. So that pulled in um, Hanging Judge Parker, who one of his descendants sent me an email. Oh, wow. A couple years ago saying that the family had read his because he's in a, I think he's in two or three of the books, just little cameo parts, and how much they enjoyed it, and how I got a, his personality right. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. So when you're doing something like that, you you get the, the, the history from the Indian Territory. You And he was a black Seminole. His name is Dixon Wild Horse. So you get the Seminole Wars that you can pull in. Um, you can pull in the, the walk that... Um, the Seminoles made from Oklahoma to, to Mexico to escape the the the, the, the slave catchers, um, and Black Hat tried to sell them on the way. He was the Seminole chief. I mean, just crazy stuff like that. But right. it all anchors your story, and if you can weave it in a way that doesn't make you know the reader's eyes glaze over. Um, then you know you you're doing something because when I edit, and if my eyes start glazing over, I'm like, okay, too much of this, you know. Right. But as a historical writer, and we all have the same problem, we want to put everything in the book. We're like, right. y'all need to know this and this and this and this, and I have to smack myself and say, you're writing a romance, you're not writing a history book. So <laughs> you know, pull up a little bit, <clears throat> you know, step back. Um, go ahead. Well, and, and and I think one of the the problems that we have is I think so many people are are hungry for good history um, because you know as a a subject in school and I think you and I talked about this last time maybe a little bit that mm-hmm. that history gets um, relegated to the the teachers that yeah. that you know no what no one else wants to teach this and it right. becomes just a list of bullet points that we're giving kids and yeah. and we we lack some storytelling in yeah. in lot. history um something to make it come alive and yeah. that's what that I think that's one reason that I love historical fiction is because it it puts um it puts skin on these uh historical figures and, yeah. and makes them feel real and if they're real then maybe i can relate to them in some way and right. maybe there's something i can learn from them yeah. you know for good or ill you know yeah. um you know and, and and there's no test on friday right <clears throat> you know that's, that's the big the best thing. Part. there's no test on friday but yeah it's taught horribly in schools yeah. and it's not only taught horribly but it's only taught from a narrow view right you know you don't you don't get the African-American contribution. You don't get the Chinese contribution. You don't get the, 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 the great contributions of any of the marginalized demographics in the United States. Right. Um, and they, and on their backs, this country was form, founded and formed. Absolutely. So um, I'm trying to do my little part with my little romance novels. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, and one problem with that is, you know, if, you, if you've got one uh, uh, class period, that is world history and you're going to teach that in one school year, uh, the farther away you get from events, the more they get reduced to just bullet points because, yeah. of, you know, just how do you include everything? I know. You know? So, I know. so yeah. one of your romance books that, you know, takes a left turn over here and lets us really dig into this time mm-hmm. period and these people, um, I, I think that's really needed in the world. Yeah. We have a, have a few college classes that are teaching some of my books, which is, you know, absolutely wonderful. That is wonderful. And then some of the women who read my books are in PhD history programs. And one of the women got into an argument with her professor because he didn't believe that the Exodus, the Great Exodus of 1879 existed. 
don't know how they got to talking about that. But she was like, yeah, he said, no, 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 you got that mixed up with, you know, with the, the 1900 or, you know, and then he wound up telling her she'd made it up. And so she told me online, she said, <clears throat> luckily, Miss Bev, you put your citations in the back of the book. She said, so when I smacked him with those, <laughs> I said, oh, wow. So I said, so um, how did he feel having to eat crow with his feet in his mouth? And she said, <laughs> He wasn't happy at all. <laughs> she said he was not happy. Uh, she said, but you got to be in the course. She says, so that was all that, that mattered. And then one night we were talking about Indian territory and uh, the black and brown outlaws and the lawmen. And one of the women on my Twitter feed um, <clears throat> said her, her husband is in a PhD program on the West, the, the, the Wild West. He had never heard of any of the stuff that we were talking about. He didn't know anything about the Light Horse Police. He didn't know anything about Bass Reeves. He didn't know anything about Sequoia, you know, which the Native Americans were going to name Oklahoma. Um, or that the Native Americans and the Black Americans were both petitioning the government to try and make it a state for you know, the, the, the natives and for the black people, you know, we we're going head and head about that. So I'm like, what are they teaching y'all in school? You know, it's like, how can you not know about and being a PhD program? So I gave him um, a reference for Art Burton's book, uh, Black, Red, Deadly, which is Art's one of the best historians on the Black West. He is awesome. Um so supposedly the, the 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 PhD guy was going to go get this so he could know a little bit more than probably his professor. So yeah, I love that you took him to school. That's well, you know, hey, gotta teach folks. Gotta gotta teach him, you know. And and uh, eating a little crow is good for the soul. Sometimes oh, I think so too. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so. Um, so speaking of of finding these historical nuggets and mm -hmm. these, um forgotten or you know, things that we're just ignorant about for for whatever reason yeah. um when you happen on one of these events and or, or a, uh, time periods that you really want to write about um do you immerse yourself in the history beforehand and then the writing just kind of pours out of that or do you kind of have an idea and then as uh as things come up in the writing, do you research as you go? I guess I, I do, do both. Do, okay. I do both. Yeah. It, it, you know, for now, for most of this stuff in the 19th century, I have a pretty good knowledge, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to do as much research um, now as I did when I first started. But if I'm in the middle of something and I don't know what, you know, I'm looking for, or I need to know more, I will stop and do research. But then you go down the rabbit hole and, you know, and you're down there for two days. Right. You know, I was, when I did um, Rebel, it's in New Orleans. And I really like to do the, the, the flora and the fauna and, you know, what you hear at night when you're outside and all that. So it's frog sounds, right? <clears throat> right. So I am researching frogs frogs in louisiana so i'm listening to frogs and all of that and i'm going deeper and deeper and deeper and i get to the point i forget i've forgotten about the frogs i don't know what i'm doing it i run across <laughs> a black guy who has a circus in the 19th century and he would travel to the lumberjack camps in wisconsin and i'm like whoa whoa whoa, whoa wait what you know so <laughs> then i got really distracted so <laughs> He's going to show up in a book somewhere sometime, but well, how could he not? I know that that's know he was there. You know, it's <laughs> what you get for just you know for researching frog sounds and Louisiana. Right, you just never know where a circus is going to pop up. Right, right, run by a black guy. You know, it's like what? <laughs> like what? That that's fantastic. That has yeah. to be a book. Yeah. Oh man. Um. So rare danger takes us out of historical fiction into uh, more modern mm -hmm. uh, storytelling. And, and uh, it, 
and you you talked about that you, there's been several stories like that where you you just kind of need to come out of history sometimes and write a car chase. Yeah. Um, do, you know, uh, a lot of times in publishing, we want to um, kind of pigeonhole authors. Like when they're successful in something, why would you want to do something different? I need you to stay here and keep right. making you know, making great books that are going to make great money for everybody. Right. Um, you know, don't, don't venture out. Um, but as we talked about earlier, that readers should read widely. I think authors, a lot of times want to stretch out and, and try something new. Um, how do you feel about, um, about being able to write all over the place and, and how has the industry responded to your desires to kind of, try a little of this and a little of that from time to time. I am, I'm blessed to have an editor who trusts my writing. Um, she was the first person to ask me if I had any contemporaries. That's okay. when I went back and dusted off that, that manuscript that beat me home from the post office. That was so bad. <laughs> um, they have let me write young adult historicals. Um, they've let me, or not let me, but encouraged me to write um, romantic suspense. I have an 11 book women's fiction series that is not romance that um, they've encouraged me to write. You know, and, and yes, there are some houses that don't want their writers to, 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 to go off the farm. You know, they sure. want them in that, you know, in that little barn you know, right. making, you know, turning straw into gold, <laughs> you know, like, what is that, Rumpelstiltskin? Right. Um, and a lot of them resent that. Yeah. Because you're so much more than sometimes than what you're known for. Um, and then that's one of the joys about the indie authors, because they're all over the place. Right. You know, and, and that's a good thing. And it's a good example. Um, for other writers too, but yeah, I, I'm blessed to, you know, I'm in every sandbox. You know, the only sandbox I have yet to play in is the fantasy sandbox, and I got a dragon book that I have also been lying to my readers about for the past 15 years that I'm going to write. <laughs> I gave them eight pages of it um, at the back of one of the novellas for the Blessing series, and <laughs> I go place, and they're like. Um, can we have more dragon, please? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I gotta pay the right to study, pay the bills first, but right. You know, I'm, I'm trying, trying to get there, but yeah. Was was there a point in your career where you realized that there were um, Bev Jenkins readers, not just historical fiction readers, or not just uh, African-American history readers or um, that, that you realize that people would follow you wherever you went. Right. Um, yeah. When I did the, um, the young adults, cause I think that was the first straying off the farm was the young adults. And I got letters from some of the young ladies that, would you tell my mama to give me the book, please? <laughs> She's reading them. I haven't read them yet. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, the Blessing series. I mean, I don't know if there was a first time, because I know that's your question. But I think all of the stuff that I've written in the last 28 years has brought people to the table that my publisher may not have realized was part of the demographic or decided to be part of the demographic. Right. Um, the Blessing Series early on, I got an email from a retired Marine drill sergeant who was reading the Blessing Series. And he wrote me and he said, I know your publisher doesn't believe I'm your part of your demographics. He said, but I love these damn books. I have a, 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 a fan who is of the Blessing Series who's a guy on the radio in Arkansas wears a white hat. His wife turned him on to the books. <laughs> They're probably either the same age or a little bit younger than I am, right? These old folks. And um, he follows me on Twitter. 
and I can't remember which book it was, but he sent me a tweet and he said, Bev, you shouldn't be making old white guys cry. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, the the teens and they're reading the Blessing series. Um, little girls sneaking the, 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 what we call the big girl books, sneaking and reading those at, at age nine and ten. I'm like, get away from them books. <laughs> That's why I wrote the young adult books for you. Leave your mama's right. books alone. You're not ready. You know, um, but I'm grateful for every one of them um, because without them, I wouldn't be here. You know, they, you know, books are expensive. <clears throat> yeah. And they're working hard for their money, regardless of what they're doing. And they're taking that hard earned money and they're buying my hardcovers and they're buying them in all forms. They got readers who buy the ebook, the paperback, and the audible. They're in way too deep, but I love them for that. You know? <laughs> um, well, but yeah, my readers are, they mean the world to me. Well, speaking of Audible, because, you know, audiobooks have been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but Audible and uh, it, maybe it's the the prevalence of uh, smartphones mm -hmm. now where, you know, we we have all the storage in our pocket and it's convenient. And, you know, most people have headphones that they plug into it. And it, it's just really easy to listen to audiobooks now mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe, you know, kind of this culmination of events you know cause that but over the last several years um audiobooks have have just boomed exploded. and yeah, it's the largest yeah. growth market in in publishing right yeah. now yeah um and you're absolutely right there's uh there's reading your book and then there's listening to uh, a great narrator who's yeah. who's acting out and and i know you're not a huge audiobook fan mm -hmm. I, I i get that yeah but you uh you know that the, it's a it's another experience. Uh, yeah, you can read the book and then hearing someone act it out is yeah. is, uh, is glorious when done right. Yeah. Um, so how do you, yeah. How do you feel about about that your books are now being consumed this way? I think it's great. I mean, because we 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 take in our reading our books in different formats. Some yeah. people are more audio based um especially a lot of the senior citizens who i am a part of that demographic um <laughs> hey, i got an aarp card in the mail the other day and i don't know how to feel about that bless you <laughs> i've had mine for about 20 years i'm like why are you sending this to me <laughs> right but um yeah i mean and then you also okay so we have the audio we have the ebooks, we have print, and now we have the chapters kind of stuff. Right. Um, where they're reading on their phones uh, uh, a chapter a week, and then you, you buy tokens or something, and then they give you another chapter. So it's, you know, it's whatever floats your boat. Um, I'm just glad to be an author alive at this time because right. there are so many different streams that our readers can take in our stories. And that has to be a good thing. Absolutely. Miss mm -hmm. Bev, we could chat all day long. I, I know, know but we but could chat we, till next Tuesday. Yeah, but but we need to we need to land this plane. Um okay. your your newest, your latest book uh is Rare Danger. And mm -hmm. and we talked about that, but I have a feeling that that there's more coming from you this year. Yeah, I'm 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 trying to get, you know, speaking about lying to my readers um, about the <laughs> dragon book. I've also been lying to them about a, a suspense book that they've been waiting for. That was that's on a side character in uh, Sexy Dangerous, and um, so I'm going to try and do that this summer. Uh, before um, Raven comes out, and then I move on to the next Blessings book. So, you know, I I got a whole you know I got a whole lot more years behind me than I have ahead of me, 
So, you know, and then the people in the in the green room in my head are tapping on their, their clocks going, <laughs> all right, lady, come on now. <laughs> Need you to tell my story, you know. So I love what I do, but I'm having a ball. Well, just because the road is long behind you uh, doesn't mean it's dim going forward either. No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out who I'm going to be when I grow up. You know? There you so. go. And I hope you never find out. <laughs> I hope you're always constantly looking. Yeah. Uh, Miss Bev, tell people where uh, where they can find you online if they want to dig into your massive back catalog. And, um, and You can find the website is uh, BeverlyJenkins.net. Okay. I have one, two, three, or four Facebook pages, depending on how you want to deal with it. Um, I am also on Twitter. I love Twitter. <laughs> love Twitter. I am at author Miss Bev on Twitter. That's why my books are always late because I'm on Twitter playing around. My editor's <laughs> pulling out her hair. Um, but yeah, you can find me, and my books are, as we said, in all formats. All retailers, iBooks, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, you name it, and independent stores. Support your local indie store, please. Absolutely. Um, and I'll see you when Raven comes out. She's a grifter. We are Let's looking for a stolen copy of the Declaration of Independence, and there's a whole story behind that too. So, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, uh, uh, I'm sold. I, that's all. I'm, that's all I need to hear. I, that's all I need to hear. Well, please come back and let's talk about it when it comes out. That sounds good. Just send me a send me a link. All I'll right. Be here. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for joining me, Miss Bev. Thanks for having me. You take care. <laughs>